Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today's topic, we'll be talking about machine learning. Machine learning is this mysterious thing that has appeared over on the last couple of years where everyone seems to be interested in it, but it's very difficult to learn more about it. It's everywhere, man. Like everything is machine learning now. Like Google is machine learning and you Netflix. Know, it's in your phone. It's in constantly the air lear- all around us. It's, it's driving constantly, our cars. Exactly. Constantly <laughs> learning all the things about us. Learning Machine learning, learning about humans. Very, very but, strange. But now stuff. we need to learn about it. Exactly. <laughs> we have a guest today. I'd like to introduce Tom Benham. Thanks. Thanks for coming on down, Tom. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Tom, could you give us a little bit of information about yourself? Sure. I suppose professionally. Yeah, my background is more in financial services and risk and and finance. But a a few years ago, I I decided I wanted to get deeper into this space of data science, machine learning. And so went back to school to to start studying that. And now I'm starting to reapply that in my sort of work environment. Oh, that's a, from finance to machine learning back to finance. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, that's pretty intense. I imagine there's a lot of machine learning happening in finance as well. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are interested in where do you learn machine learning? And I think we should kind of dive into that. Yeah. You want me to kick that off then? Yeah. If you have some insight on where'd you learn, how'd you go about learning some of the machine learning information that you're now using in your current career? Yeah. I'm curious if you tried to learn by yourself before you started doing that before you before you started i mean, at the I mean a little program. bit I, I guess the introduction for me was more sort of front end in terms of data visualization and how we're looking at like huge balance sheets on, on companies and trying to iterate through uh, the different products we have there and how we value them and, and that became a, a challenge and that i look, tried to solve from a, a visualization perspective and then i just got further and further i got more and more interested in sort of the, the stack behind that uh, and from there, getting more deeply into into data science and machine learning itself. So that was sort of the genesis of my interest in. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a rabbit hole, like as you know, many <laughs> things we talk about yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. For me, like I, I, it was a similar kind of thing. Like through the visualization aspect, like oh, okay, like there's there's always like cool things that we can see about it. Like you know, if you do like a, a principal co- components analysis of something, you can like make something that's really abstract into something that you can see on a piece of paper in 2D. So yeah, that's for me. That's that's kind of where I started. And so I started to dabble a little bit, I suppose, in the different subtopics under machine learning. But I, I think I, I'm a little bit risk averse. And so I thought, uh, and a little bit maybe traditional. So I thought maybe I need to get back to school to study this stuff rather yeah, than just sure, sure. But I think there, there is a very strong and reasonable argument that all of the resources you need to get into machine learning, data science are pretty much online and available for free at this stage. And so as long as you can sort of be organized and diligent, there's a lot of material that you can use. Yeah, it, it, it is a challenge though to, to build the curriculum and filter through all of the information that's out there because like the kind of people who are learning these things are, you know, doctorates and, you know, really heavy math. And there's some great resources on like Reddit and Coursera and all kinds of like online learning programs you can, you can go through. One of the, one of the first things, one of the professors that I was teaching me at Columbia there was one of the first things he said you should realize about data science is it's like a contact sport. Like you can't do this in the theory. You need to like roll up your sleeves and get dive into the data and the and the the algorithms that you're using. So, 
that's definitely something that people want to keep in mind if they want to get into that space. That's right. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Like it's one thing to like read about it, but then like to actually work with data and understand the pain that comes with mm-hmm. like getting something to work and tuning it. Yeah. Well, so this may be not familiar to a lot of your listeners, but so I didn't I didn't come from a computer science program background, so that was like one of my. I'm more from the sort of math risk side of things, so that was a bit easier okay. for me to pick up on. So you had like the statistics and all that yeah, under your belt. Yeah, and so I was more. It was more about learning how to think about algorithms, how to. I had to, you know, go back and teach, or not go back, I had to teach myself some Python and R to sort of get up to so I was functional. Because at the end of the day, you need to be building stuff and integrating and pulling in data and, and running these algorithms. So it was, that's, you got you to need to, at some stage or at some level, understand the theory, the math behind that. But it, like I said, it's a contact sport. So you've got to get in there and, uh, and start building those algorithms and pulling in. Cool. So you say that, like, maybe to a degree, like the understanding of, like the deep understanding of that math is less important than just like having an intuition and, and kind of using it as a blunt object. <laughs> well, <laughs> it something. depends. I mean, I don't want to use the word rabbit hole, but I mean, you know, the math, <laughs> <laughs> it's inceptive. The, the math behind <laughs> it is a bit of a rabbit hole. I mean, you can go as deep as you want in that space, but you know, you, I mean, to be effective and to be conversant, you need to have a reasonable understanding of some of the, of the fundamental math behind a lot of the algorithms. But, so that was that was a bit of a journey for me, but it was more about just getting up the curve in terms of programming and, and being able to be functional in that space. Cool, yeah. But one of the things I really like about like talking with people about machine learning is that there are many paths to mm-hmm. machine learning. It's mm-hmm. very much like a multidisciplinary area where people will come to it from computer science. People will come from it and come to it from like uh, statistics or math or hard science. Like I've met a number of people who have like come to it from like an astrology background like they're they're doing like analysis of background radiation they're like nope okay now i'm gonna be a machine learning person <laughs> yeah. like you mean you mean astronomy right what did i say astrology yeah. that's like oh, the like i meant, study the stars i meant cosmology yeah. Uh, okay. but <laughs> yes but yes they're not writing the horoscopes on the path train <laughs> machine, learning, machine learning would be really good at that probably yeah you could get some nlp going <laughs> Well, I mean, you can kind of just make it up, I think. That's what, that's what machine learning algorithms are great at. <laughs> just making that, stuff that is, It's an interesting point, though, because I think it is having a use case is a really is actually useful in the process of learning. So you have some sort of motivation behind what you're why you're trying to, to use this this tool set and these capabilities. So for me, it was more sort of in the, the finance stack or space. But if you're interested in cosmology or whatever it is that you're interested in. Right. Yeah. Or in, in generating horoscopes <laughs> through uh, adversarial networks or whatever. Yeah. So, like, what are what are some of the use cases that you were really attracted to with with machine learning and finance? Well, I mean, the use cases that we work on uh, work on now. There's a lot of work being done in the uh, money laundering space. Okay. Okay. That sounds very exciting. Like, that's there could be a Netflix special about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of different use cases within that as well. It seems to be one of the rich areas from a finance financial services space where this is being applied. So whether you're trying to understand someone's risk in relation to their sort of money laundering, like that's, um, that's like the risk as in like the risk that this person is a bad guy. Yeah. The, the, the model is kind of predicting what's the probability that this person should be put into that higher risk bucket of a, of a, of a money launderer. Not that they would behave badly, just that they should have a, a higher level of due diligence associated with them. 
I see. Yeah. yeah. I guess there's still like a human aspect where like you, you can't trust the algorithm entirely. It's like trust, trust, but verify to a degree. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of documentation, and other things that go along with that. Mm-hmm. But it, no, it does. T- it's more and more starting to sort of drive the the sort of front to back processes around how you d- how you're dealing with your customers from that particular perspective. And so, interesting. One of the, the use cases there is actually one of the reasons for using it is it's, it's standardizing how people are are being considered from that perspective, rather yeah. than rather than you know arbitrary decision making from human beings. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've heard about another like pretty cool use case or uh, like. I guess not cool. It's like a little bit controversial, actually. Some judges in uh, different parts of the U.S. are using a machine learning algorithm to score the risk factor for different recidivism. defendants. Recidivism and yeah, 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 to see if they need to set bail for those people. Oh, yeah. So whoa, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. So it's way just, better than having a human do it because right now there's a significant correlation between the time of day and whether or not a person has like, eaten. Yeah, whether it's it's based off of whether or not the judge just ate lunch. Basically. Yeah, right. yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I would be really cruel if I didn't have lunch and then I had to look at a couple things, yeah. which would suck. Yeah, and also I've seen that there's just like certain judges that are just jerks. Yeah. They just set bail like more frequently, so it's really the ri- or the the luck of the draw if you get that guy who's mean right. versus the guy who's a little bit nicer. I mean, or if he what? had lunch, then you just, if he's got the bean guy and he didn't eat lunch, then you're just done. Yeah. I've read about that as well, that particular scenario. But it does get to in, into another topic which is relevant to all machine learning and becoming, I think, increasingly relevant in the broader AI space is that those algorithms and that the other issue with that particular one is that, that it's only as good as the data going into it. So mm. and one of the areas that you'll touch on if you when you start to get into the data science machine learning is the whole concept of bias and variance trade-off so how oh. well you've well maybe we can get into the technical technicalities of that later but at the end of the day your model is only as good in many ways as the as the data that's going into it and so it may be highly tuned in some sense but it has particular biases in other in other aspects whether that's upon race gender whatever the data is that's being fed into that so in machine learning the algorithm can only be as successful as the data that goes into it because there then then it would be exercised to get better it's what it's one aspect of how performant the model is definitely going to be but it's it's not it's like the data that's going in how you're selecting that feature set and how you're the other aspects of that model calibration so if your algorithm is too much bias then that means that it just it's being like it's not fitting the data well enough so you need more data you just throw more data at the problem then you know you'll be fine it's like just run it longer put more data in it okay great yeah, yeah. i think there were some high profile instances where things were kind of embarrassingly i think there were some high profile instances where things were kind of embarrassingly broken like google did uh, an image recognition project and uh, they were using mostly white faces to train on and when they got when they when someone actually used the product to scan a black person it classified them as a monkey yeah like no, there's really some imp- crazy oh wow jeez if you want something a little more lighter hearted than that is there's, there's, some good, <laughs> there's, some, there's some good examples of like 
training a model on blueberries versus chihuahuas. Sorry, blueberry muffins versus chihuahuas. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And that, so it, if you start to go look at that. Uh, guys, there's some good pictures they, online that people they can They do find. look like blueberry yeah, to, muffins. To be honest, yeah. I have a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you see them like side by side, you start to feel like, okay, how did I ever tell them about it? Yeah. Th- that's why it's so important to have high quality data because you could imagine somebody taking, you know, police records and using that to train an algorithm and then, you know, we already have a lot of race bias in the policing system, like right. in the ju- criminal justice system right now. Yeah, right. Well, that's enforcing. Yeah, exactly. It's garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Interesting, like, I, I know that Google has, like, some public classes and, like, videos that about machine learning, and one of the big things that they push is, like, this understanding bias in, in machine learning in terms of, like, how it affects people of privilege or uh, different races or genders or what have you. Cause like all, all these things are really apparent, especially with the data that they're working with, because it's collected from a very specific set of people who have the internet and are using computers and on Google all the time. So it's a little self-selecting. I mean, one of the other very interesting developments recently was the, I'm sure you guys are aware of the alpha go. Right. Yeah. The, supercomputer neural net that beat the world's best go player right and so i thought everyone was in the ai community you know like 12 months ago thought that that was a good 10 years away and then someone came along and beat the best player in the world i think it was four games to one or five was five games to zero like crushed him basically yeah but then six months later they built they built a new version of that that algorithm that neural net and there's other related, I think, search algorithms that, that accompany that as well. And it's called AlphaGo Zero. And that all that, they just got, they basically, that algorithm was set up to be taught based on a pure optimization and reinforcement function with no data whatsoever, starting from scratch and outperformed AlphaGo itself, beating it 100 to zero. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Adver- <laughs> adversarial networks, they're like, it's kind of crazy like so what, was, what they're able to do with these these deep learning things. Yeah. So there's, a, there's an interesting podcast I was talking to you guys earlier about A16Z where they call it the revenge of the algorithm. So they, <laughs> the, the algorithms now can t- train themselves without data at all. Al- and then that, yeah, AlphaZero is going to teach itself how to make a better algorithm that will defeat AlphaZero a thousand to, to zero. <laughs> right. And then it's just going to exponentially get we're better and better and better and then we're gonna be slaves to the robots yeah it's cool i mean like one of my favorite so movies we're going there straight away I was <laughs> what, <laughs> one of my favorite movies growing up was uh war games and the, the only way to win is not to play like the, the the kid like hacks into the computer and talks to an ai and almost starts a nuclear war oh <laughs> wow like, yeah it was, it was a great movie but I, so I don't know if we've finished the topic of education, but I think there, yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot of resources online if people are interested. Like obviously Coursera, like yeah. you said, but yeah, Ud- Udacity as well is a really good source for. Yeah, they they both learning. have their own like nano degree programs that you can check out. There are also there are also some great podcasts out there. I know you really it is a full contact sport and you have to be doing it, mm. but there are like hours in the day when you can't be at your computer, like when you're standing on the train or. You know, whatever. Yeah, and those hours that you're not listening to the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> when you've gone through all of them. Yeah. Once you finish the rabbit hole, then you're allowed to listen to <laughs> Learning Machines 101 is a good one. And uh, the Machine Learning Guide is another one that I really like. Mm. But there are a bunch, like Linear Digressions, Software Engineering Daily. 
has uh, one on machine learning. Yeah, software engineering daily is pretty great. Um, the this week in machine learning and artificial intelligence, which is kind of an excessively long name. I think people just call it Twimmel. What is the Twimmel? <laughs> this week in machine learning. Oh, nice. Twimmel. Nice. Yeah, and and although it is a full contact support, like that, you can choose the level that you're really operating with it i guess mm-hmm. like you're saying how you can go down to the nitty-gritty for the equations and how they're actually working and do a, a pure implementation or like you can use an off-the-shelf model increasingly you can use uh, tensorflow or scikit-learn and just take a linear regression model or logistic regression model and just plug in the data mm-hmm. which is not always very easy still like getting the data in the right shape and all that is challenging but there's a lot of tools available and increasingly api tools as well like mm-hmm. where there's services for machine learning that you can use online yeah the watson api well, yeah that's right yeah there's some good sort of foundational data sets as well the iris data set is a really good one for learning sort of classification algorithms oh yeah uh, that's a pretty standard one you can get that on um or you, you, you can get it anywhere online if you just type that in. Other yeah. one is uh, is a predictor around who's what's who would die on the Titanic. There's a good data set around that that you oh, can wow. use for. Oh wow, that's uh, like the classic uh, Kaggle Kaggle data set. Exactly one of those, the Kaggle data sets in order. So that that's a good place to start as well in terms of trying to start to get your hands dirty and lots of examples online around how people have used those to to build classifier models. Awesome. I mean, I honestly wasn't aware of the amount of resources that there are to get data sets that would allow you to do these machine learning exercises, but it's really cool. Oh, there's, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's tons of index data at different universities as well. And Cool. Uh, hopefully uh, we can definitely add them in the show notes and, and have people look at it that way. Yeah. Are there any cool applications in the financial space for this that we haven't, we haven't touched on yet? Yeah. I mean, one of the use cases that we're, we're focused on right now that's, and is in an area that's particularly interesting to me is around uh, natural language processing. So where you're looking at a use case around how do institutions map their internal policies and procedures to the regulatory requirements that they need to comply with. And this is, so this is an area where this, this sort of document set or corpus has grown organically over time with no standardized formats and, and, and ways of collating that information. So we're, we're looking, we've been building some algorithms that will essentially run over that corpus versus an external regulatory corpus to, to correlate between those documents. And so that helps us get insight or helps our clients get insight in terms of where they may have gaps in terms of their, how they're complying with particular uh, regulations from a documentation or from an execution perspective. And it's, it's a much quicker sort of time to market in terms of uh, assessing the, the risk around the, that particular use case. So that's, I'm going over a pretty high level, but um, that's, another, that's one area that we're focused on and it's been getting a reasonable amount of traction with our clients as well. So being cool. able to use the to use machine learning to learn some of the contractual aspects of trading is that the idea? Well, it's not so much contract related; it's more regulations. So right. There's a lot regulations. of re- yeah. So it's really just essentially you're running these algorithms over this large corpus of documents, and you may put in a bunch of other stuff in there to to, to increase variability of that data set. But essentially, what it's trying to do is 
like I said, just correlate between their internal documents and their external documents. And then, and then we, ha- we have our subject matter experts come in and sort of validate that the model is, being, is predicting well in terms of how they're correlated. And then once you get confidence in that, then you go to the areas where, that's, where it says they're not correlated uh, and you work out what the gaps are and okay. we, can, we can work on how to, to, to close that with our clients. That's cool. Uh, natural language processing is a, is a massively interesting space to me and that's a really good use case that we've got. So that's really taking something that instead of a computer scanning all those documents, it would have been some poor intern like sifting through. <laughs> well, lawyers, piles of lawyers actually, the lawyers. So not not some poor intern, oh, some, okay. some wow. high paid lawyer. High, high paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. some of the traditional risk spaces that we operate in whether it's credit risk or that credit risk is a good one i mean they're using the same algorithms the same models that are people associate with machine learning and sort of newer modeling capacities but these are one of the things you do learn i think when you're getting up the curve on some of this stuff is a lot of these models have been around for a while it's just they didn't even have either the data or the compute power to, to apply them in lots of use cases right yeah so there's a lot and, of crossover between traditional risk management. It's certainly cheaper than uh, paying a lawyer to look through all the yeah, stuff. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Watch out, lawyers. Yeah. We're coming for your jobs. <laughs> <laughs> lawyers, <laughs> accountants. Uh, I, mean, that's, but, uh, you, I mean, you guys would get a lot of this, I think, in the work that you do is when you go in to see clients and customers. I mean, a lot of the work that people do is just massaging data. And moving yeah. it between systems, mm-hmm. high-paid people doing this stuff. So the <laughs> more you can take humans out of the loop in of that process, the, the better. I mean, I know how much experience you have with doing that, but we do a lot of that. And We're very used to having our jobs automated because that happens like pretty much every two years. Right. Like everything that we used to have to do, there's some framework now and you have to learn all new stuff. Yeah. Right. I, feel like, I feel like the one advantage of our jobs though is that like, we are we are very adaptable and used to being automated out, and we love it. Like we love it when we don't have to do that thing that we used to do manually. That's right. true. <laughs> I mean, until they automate the our jobs, until they automate the process of automating away the things that haven't been automated yet. Yeah. I will love that too. That'll be great. <laughs> oh man, cool. Should we do a teach and learn? Yeah, I think I think it's a perfect opportunity to start some teach and learns. Uh, anyone here? have a teach and learn they want to start off with? I can start. I have been looking at some Ethereum blockchain stuff around Solidity and the Ethereum virtual machine and how that works. Uh, and I was reading recently about JSON RPC, which is how the Go Ethereum server that you start when you're working with Ethereum communicates with an individual node, uh, how, you can, how you can communicate with an individual node. And it's this protocol called JSONRPC, which is an implementation of the remote procedure call or RPC protocol. And the way it works is when you want to execute a command on the node, uh, you can use this protocol, which is very similar to REST. And it allows you to send the JSON version, you send JSON back and forth in each. A JSON object has a signature, something like the version uh, of the protocol, the name of the method that you want to call, any parameters that you want to send to it, and, and an ID so you can match a call with a response. I see. Cool. So just like, is that the, the basic way of getting any Ethereum smart contracts out into the node, pretty much? Or 
I thought Ethereum was a cryptocurrency. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a cryptocurrency, but the thing that makes it valuable is is not scarcity the way it is for Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, because you can there's no cap like there is right. on Bitcoin. Bitcoin there will only ever be 21 million mm-hmm. coins. Yep. With Ethereum, you can continue to make it. The value comes from the ability to write smart contracts. Okay. And those contracts then live inside of the blockchain, which means that everybody has a copy mm-hmm. and you you can enforce them easily. Mm-hmm. Nobody can it's, it's harder to argue about there's absolute transparency basically yeah. on what's been agreed and yeah and you can execute the contracts inside of the ethereum virtual machine mm-hmm. so assuming you've put in currency as a, you like for escrow for example uh, you could in you could have the contract enforce the withdrawal of escrow mm-hmm. so these oh, okay so, the, so the the smart contracts are are why people are are interested in investing in Ethereum and interesting in, in using it. So I, uh, as a New Year's resolution, I have to learn about this. <laughs> Thanks to these guys, I have a smart goal. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was researching. I was researching that. I actually am not sure if that is how you get a smart cra- contract into the blockchain. I haven't gotten that far. I think. So? I think there. It may not be. But we'll we'll find out. Start. I we'll feel like the, the theme the theme we've been going at though is like watch out lawyers, we're coming for your jobs. <laughs> 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 Contracting <laughs> and uh, reading documentation. There you go. Tom. Tom, do you have anything? Yeah, so uh, we were talking, I think, just before we started here. So my recent thing, I don't know if it's really going to be a teaching unless you're just learning from my abject failure, but I've just... Like, <laughs> well, we, the thing is, <laughs> is that you learned something. You learned, yeah, so this is in the, in the you know spirit of contact sports. Yeah, so it's the last six <laughs> weeks I started, I started taking up jiu-jitsu. So if my wife ever listens to this, which she probably won't, <laughs> she'll, she'll cringe when I bring this up, but yeah, that's my like new thing is like getting into jujitsu. It's uh, awesome. and getting my uh, my butt kicked yeah. by getting flipped. <laughs> yeah, it's happened a couple of times. Like I said, I think I've like almost broken my elbow twice. I may have cracked a little rib, and this oh, is no. all within like six weeks of, of starting this. Yeah, that's that's badass though. That's that's jujitsu one on one. I guess is uh, required for you to break a rib. Is that the the rule? <laughs> I don't know, but it was, it was weird because you like you. St- I literally started cold six weeks ago. My first class, you go in there at the end. You, they say you you warm up, you do a few things, and then you might drill a couple of different moves and try that out with a partner. And then the last part of the class is like, okay, you got five minutes. You just roll with you know someone, right? <laughs> oh. And and you the goal is it's just like a, it's a submission. So cheers. It's actually better to be with a higher belt because they know what they're doing and they're not trying so hard to beat you because the lower belt you go, the more like aggressive someone yeah. seems to be. <laughs> so you, you, you like learn, you start getting up the curve pretty quickly yeah. some, to some degree. Man, I don't know. If I have to choose between combat sports, between that and machine learning, I'll, I'll choose machine learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, quite, tough. it's quite meditative because you like your mind is pretty much focused on what you're doing. It's not very, you're not you know, drifting off. So. Just not getting your ribs broken. I imagine that's the thing that's on your ribs. How could I yeah. not get my ribs broken? Yeah. But I'd cool. rec- I recommend it. Nice. Watch out, Dave. Next time you're studying machine learning, I'm going to sneak up on you and just break away. <laughs> what? Jeez. <laughs> so you got to come do jujitsu with me, man. <laughs> it's going down. Nice. Cool. So don't get flipped either in machine learning or jujitsu. Um, yeah. This about wraps up the episode. Thank you 
Tom, Tom Venom, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you so much <laughs> for coming you. on down and, and sharing some of that. Thanks for having me here. We got to learn about machine learning. That's my learn for today. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming down. Oh, thank you, guys. It was uh, it's awesome to be here. I'd like to thank my uh, co-host, Fave Anderson. Thank you. Thanks, man. And our producer, William Jeffries. Happy to be here. Actually, before I close out the episode, Tom, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, sure. I mean, if people want to contact me, they can just find me at uh, in LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way to do it. It's Thomas Benham, uh, and I work at PwC. So those those data points should be enough to navigate. And right, we'll let the machine learning do the rest. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> awesome. I'm Michael Nunez. Feel free to hit us up at twitter.com slash Radio Free Rabbit. And if you haven't, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe. This is The Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time.